This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Hello there, everybody, and welcome to the Manchester is Red podcast brought to you by the Manchester Evening News. My name is Dan Murphy and joining me today on the first podcast of the new season is, of course, Mr. Samuel Luckhurst. Samuel, how's it going? I'm very well, but I don't think I could ever sound possibly as well as you, Dan. You, you, you sound it, it, full, full of beans doesn't quite cover it, so I'll, I'll try and be as buoyant as you. I'll, but I'll do my utmost, but I can't promise I'll, I'll match that You know level. what? I feel like I'm the Facundo Palestri of this podcast. I rarely get minutes on this old show. (laughs) I rarely get minutes in red, but when I do, I'll run about. I'll bring some energy. I'll bring some oomph to proceedings. At least I'll try to do, because there wasn't much oomph in proceedings for Manchester United on the opening day of the season. You know, United were made to wait all weekend while everybody else got their campaigns underway on quite an entertaining opening weekend. And of course, United kind of stank the place out a little bit on Monday as they finally got underway at Old Trafford. But at the very least, Samuel, it was a winning start over Wolverhampton Wanderers. 1-0, Raphael Varane getting the decisive goal late on in the second half, a header from Aaron Wambasaka's cross. The one positive on an otherwise pretty pretty drab night, really, to say the least. <laughs> yeah, the it was it was an extremely fortuitous win. Uh, it's, it's, it's strange because you, you coming away from that game last night, you thought that there weren't many positives to take away from it uh, for United but the most important thing in, in a game is, is the final score and, and, and they got the win I mean it, Wolves would have come away from that game probably with, with more positives but they, they still came away from it having not, not taken anything uh, United's performance level just never recovered from the start they were quite sluggish uh, Wolves were very bullish they were aggressive and they they were very dangerous on on the breakaways and if Wolves didn't have this reputation of being such a profligate side and it wasn't so much of a problem in the first few years when they were back in the Premier League because they, they were such a well-drilled team and they had decent goal-scoring outlets in attack and in midfield uh, the, the occasional defender and, and they would grind out wins but more recently where they've gone you know, further down the table it has become more of an acute issue and you just sense that maybe where they were giving United these chances and not taking their own chances United would come up with something that said I, I didn't see how United were going to get a goal in that game and it was pretty apt that when the goal did come it was through a right back crossing for, for a centre back uh, I thought Juan Basaka was, was United's best outfield player probably their best player overall in the evening and, and credit to Varane he, he took the gamble of going up there and the the keeper's positioning was 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 pretty errant but he's he still uh, put it away quite quite tidily uh but really it was it was it was just strange uh united looking at their team sheet it was it was it was a strong team even without a goal scorer and that is still the problem uh even though they've got you know new signings in place with Anana and and Mount and you looked at the bench and reserve and they had good game changing options and there was you know there was a decent quality and depth the absence of of, of a proven goal scorer was glaring and this team that struggled for goals last season they struggled for goals last night they were dependent on on a defender getting the goal and really you, you looking at the of course the the, the controversial moment being the the, the non penalty in the 96th minute it's it's not a certainty that Wolves would have scored it had it been given, but they'd have had a pretty good shot at getting a point from that game, and and they you know, they deserve that shot. It was a shocking decision uh, by the referee and then by the, by the VAR as well. So there's a hell of a lot of room for improvement for United, and uh, it, it it was it was strange in that it was a win that had these rather eerie parallels with with eight years ago in their first game of of the 2015-16 season where they 
barely had a shot on target. The only goal they scored was an own goal. Uh, and this was on the back of a, a progressive season and the manager at the time was Dutch. He'd had Enviable back in in the transfer market. Eric Ten Hag is a big upgrade on Louis van Gaal, but there were still these strange parallels because United were just very disjointed last night. And although Ten Hag was saying afterwards it was a clean sheet and you've got to see the positive in that um, they, they looked very gettable they they didn't look particularly functional uh, at all in attack or defence the attack was worse than the defence but um, as, as a whole collective unit they, they were lacking they were lacking cohesion particularly up front and you know there, there were some some definite kinks to iron out ahead of the Tottenham game Absolutely. I mean, if you ask someone who was otherwise un- un- unaware of which team had only had their manager in place for five days, I don't think anyone would have been picking Wolves off the back of that performance. And I think it was pointed out by um, one of the one of the pundits in the Monday Night Football studio ahead of the match, like O'Neill, you know, he did a good job at Bournemouth last season, understandably moved on, but did a good job in those circumstances. And it's pointed out how he really tried to get his team, especially against bigger sides, up into their in, up in their grill, so to speak, early on. And it was happening against Arsenal, that draw that kind of derailed their title hopes completely. They scored early on and you know, he's only been in the job a few days, but he he got that he got that kind of message across to his team. And I say United never really kind of overcame that really rough start that they were kind of subjected to. And I think a lot of that does come from that midfield setup. You know, you talked about Mount there, and he hasn't had the kind of the most explosive preseason, and that carried on into his competitive debut. And the midfield as a whole, it was just kind of a bit soft and gettable. You know, Mount is a bit more of a wanting to play a bit further forward, shall we say, than Ericsson, who kind of sat next to Casemiro more and the Casemiro was left with lots to do. And then it was overwhelmed quite often. You know, Wolves um, had 23 shots on on the day, which was the, the third most over the weekend. And we've only newly promoted Luton and Sheffield United conceding more. So if that's Wolves, a team that's been, you know, coached for five days under a new manager, cutting through United so easily away from home, no less when it was all doom and gloom at Molyneux ahead of the match. It doesn't bode well for A, Tottenham coming in a week's time, who by no means had a great start to the season, but looks look to be at least improving under Posta Cloglu. And the um of course the better teams that will United will be facing in the weeks to come. It's not a good start at all. Well, they've got Arsenal at the end of the month, and you you would the, uh, the way it's going. You certainly wouldn't fancy United in that game. They've they've got a long way to go to get to a level where I think the supporters would be confident of them going to Arsenal and getting a positive result. The, it was interesting. We we saw it during the Lons game how United, when they didn't have the ball, uh, Mount and Fernandez were pushed higher up, and it was almost like it, it was like a triangle. The midfield with with. Casemiro at the base of it and last night when Anana had the ball Ten Hag was telling them to, to push higher up I think he was specifically trying telling that to um, to Mount and Garnacho. but as you say it, it just isolated Casemiro and if you're not going to be prudent in possession which United really weren't last night and, and Mount was, was guilty of that and, and seeding possession and the wingers were probably worse and, and, and Rashford wasn't a reliable outlet and, and Fernandez was you know, quite maddening at times. He was trying to hit, hit hit things time and again and it just wouldn't stick until it did lead to the goal. But if you're going to play like that, you've, you've got to keep the ball and they weren't keeping the ball and that always left Casemiro vulnerable. And although Martinez, I think Varane said that he, he had an ankle problem, that was why he came off. There was a breakaway where... Wolves went past him in the halfway line and he consciously didn't touch the guy because he knew that if he did, he'd be off. He got a booking in the 17th minute and his yellow card wasn't the only you know, late lunge. Luke Shaw got a yellow card for a similar foul, but that came through uh, from a sloppy pass by Garnacho. And when we watch Manchester City, they can play with Rodri as the sole sentry because they keep the ball. Uh, there's, you know, everyone knows their cues. There's absolute faith that they will not cede possession, and and if they do cede possession, they they work their you know their, their backsides off to get it back. United are nowhere near that level, and I think they're possibly getting ahead of themselves. It's the right intention. It's 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 a progressive way of wanting to play, and maybe it will come in time. But I've I've, I've expressed reservations about the signing of Mount before immediately when when it transpired that United did actually want him you think well he plays in Bruno Fernandes's role and okay he can play deeper and that's 
what that is where he's starting out but a game's not played on paper and he is playing further forward and again the intent is good mount is good off the ball he's good at pressing you want to you know, be more attack minded be more dominant but whether he's the right player to occupy that role where you're, you're playing high up but you've also got to be hard working off the ball and he is but whether it's right for the balance of the team I, I, I have severe doubts and it's it's an interesting summer in that there have been a lot of midfielders who've gone who've been on the move and have gone on the move for, for big money as well and United have steered clear of entering the, the, the bidding for any of those players Rice, Caicedo, Bellingham yeah, in the case of Bellingham, unattainable. In the case of Caicedo, probably just wanted to go to Chelsea, but United would, would never in for him, truthfully. Uh, Rice was more of interest a couple of years ago. Uh, but I'd, I'd also bracket James Madison in that conversation because I think that James Madison is is, is arguably an upgrade on, on Mount as well. And he really needed to hit the ground running at United and he's not done that. He didn't do that in pre-season. He certainly didn't do it last night. The performance last night, it, it wasn't any individual's fault. Um, as I said, the, the the attack was just pretty shambolic, really. And, and, and Ten Hag said himself that it wasn't the best performance of the front line, which was quite a diplomatic way of summarising it. But we always come back to the same issue as well. There, there, there was not a focal point. Uh, Marcus Rashford has said himself time and again, effectively, that he is not a striker. And I think going into the game yesterday, the payoff was that, OK, if he starts up front, you, you've got Garnacho on the wing, but then Garnacho stunk the place out. He can be forgiven, I think, because he's a 19-year-old. He only started five Premier League games last season. He is still developing. He's had a stratospheric rise in his career over the last 18 months. He, more senior professionals need to ease the burden on him uh, from time to time. And that's why someone like Anthony cannot be cut as much slack because he's had ample time to get up to speed and he, he's more erratic uh, more often than not than, than Garnacho. I think Garnacho has probably been more efficient forward during their, the, the two of their times in in the United first team so and, and with Anthony people are always going to look at the price tag as well and okay that's not all on him but that's a hell of a lot of money and it, he, there has to come a point where he is performing at a consistent level and you you still look at him and he's still although there is potential there he th th there's also a flakiness and United were extremely flaky last night and Wolves since they got promoted five years ago, they've been lacking in a number of things. But one thing is they've never been lacking in is aggression and physicality. And they imposed themselves very, very quickly on that game last night. And make no mistake about it, they'll be absolutely ruin their luck and ruin their profligacy this morning. That they, because those those things they they cost them. They they should have taken at least a point from that game. Yeah, absolutely. It's like um, we should kind of remember. The Wolves United games have never been classics for the last four years, no. even though it seems like we get four of them a season. So maybe we should keep in mind that even though it's the opening day and Wolves have gone through a bit of turmoil, these matches are never, never something to write home about. But, you know, kind of on that midfield, and you know, we were saying Casemiro was left exposed, it seems like Ten Hag was trying to combat that. He wanted Mount further forward. He was trying to combat leaving Casemiro on his own by kind of copying, which may well end up being the... Uh, uh, in vogue tactic of the season because I think I saw a few teams doing it over the weekend the inverted fullback role he tried giving Shaw that and it just doesn't if you're going to try and do that tactic you need to have a fullback who as you say is basically a midfielder really good on the ball can keep it doesn't give it away in sloppy passes and Luke Shaw's a great player but you're losing what he does so well when he isn't bombing up and down the flanks and I thought you know we kind of Ganacho was kind of not at his best we'll talk about the attack more in part two but I feel like a bit of that was he didn't really have Shaw helping him out and on the overlap for most of that kind of his most of his time on the pitch and I don't know if, if the inverted fullback is something Tanag's going to try and implement then I don't really know why a fullback hasn't been more of a priority this summer, a fullback who can do it. Yeah, they, they were certainly looking at Jeremy Fringpong a while ago. Uh, but as, as you say, where they're... I mean, Wan-Bissaka and, and Dallow for, for 
you know, there's there's an adequateness there that is is fine. It's not necessarily at the level that it needs to be. It's it's not in terms of an attacking capacity. It's not at the level of of Trent Alexander Arnold or, or Reese James or, or even maybe Rico Lewis, who has just on a new contract at Manchester City and looks destined to you know get into the England team some point in the near future. But but Wambasaka credit to him, he, he he did very well last night. He he vindicated his recall, and he is trying to adapt to those uh, demands from Ten Hag. He is slotting into midfield every now and then. He had a pretty good uh, performance against Arsenal during pre-season in New Jersey, where at times he was the furthest forward. He was he, that sense of adventure. He's very. He he used to be a reluctant attacker, but he is starting to embrace uh, that that edict now from Ten Hag. But again, United, it, it, again, I I think they are. As I said earlier, there are times where it does feel like they are getting ahead of themselves. United as a team, tactically, always seem to be quite slow learners or slow developers. And I mean, for years we talked about their inability to press, and that, that's something that they improved on last season. It needs to get better this season, and I'm sure it will do with Mount. But that's that's one of the issues I have with Mason Mount. I look at him, and this was the case at Chelsea, and and when he's played for England, I think he's a better player when he doesn't have the ball, which is a strange thing to say about a footballer, and especially someone who's been brought into the team to provide creativity. Um, but each player has their own role. And as far as the full-backs were concerned last night, I, I just didn't think it worked. It, I, th- I think Gary O'Neill said afterwards about you know trying to swamp the midfield and trying trying to suffocate United there. And, and Wolves really did do that. I thought Cunha was was excellent. I mean, he's 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 got to be one uh, one of the next players at Wolves who's who's possibly going to get a big move within the next six or, or six months or the next year possibly. And and really, United just didn't they, they didn't match that physicality. And I mean, Stephen said it to myself when United had a corner, and United always get a lot of stick for the, the struggles they have with corners. But he said that they're not actually a very tall team, United. And when when he said it, I thought, yeah, you've you've got a point there. And if you're not a tall team, you're going to be at a disadvantage physically against certain teams. And again, Wolves are a team that have always had some real bean poles in it, and. That they're, they're going to put themselves about. Uh, they're, they're meaty in the tackle. They had a good following in the away end as well last night, and they really rose to the occasion. Uh, they they played very very well, and it's not the first time I've said that uh, watching Wolves, but it's also not the first time I've said that watching Wolves. And then it, it comes comes to full time, and they've lost one nil to United. That's that's happened uh, three three or four occasions in in recent years, and that that's Wolves' issue. They they just can't. They're not a clinical enough team. A clinical enough enough team last night would have put United to the sword, and. Ten Hag said afterwards as well in terms of uh, the, the performance level how how much better United were nine days earlier against Lons and the pre-season friendly and they were quite good that day but it's a big difference playing in front of a crowd that is quite quite junior it is just a friendly it's not it's not full either uh, lunchtime kickoff and then nine days later you're playing in a competitive game nighttime kickoff the stands are full it's a bit more raucous and there's a proper away following um and 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 a, and a team that you're coming up against who are a lot more physical and and united just seemed quite taken aback by how uh, how bullish wolves were which you know is, is a surprise because it's it's easy to underestimate wolves but i never really saw last night as being an outright home banker or United wiping the floor of them three nil when they went to Bournemouth and and played. Uh, and, and I think it was the, I think they played Scary O'Neill. Yeah, he was in charge for both games last season. But when they went to Bournemouth, they only won one nil, and Bournemouth had a pretty good chance towards the end to get an equaliser in that. So I think Gary O'Neill's a, a considering the circumstances Wolves were in. I think he was a very good choice because he did a great job last season at Bournemouth, who really looked like a team that you know should have stayed in the championship it was a very championship looking side and to have kept them up was was a terrific achievement but that's you know I, I suppose the positive that Ten Hag will take mostly is that this time last year United had two defeats from two uh, he was having to cancel a day off the the 
4-0 thrashing at Brentford was a generational nadir. It felt like anything was possible after that. So the, the progress from those dark days in early August last year to now, uh, it's you know it's it's a very different situation. But I think given the the optimism going into this season for United, uh, speaking to fans who were at the game last night, they they were understandably disappointed with the performance. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. I feel like sometimes and it might be kind of like last season where United and Ten Hag tried to tactically speak and tried to kind of run before they could walk obviously last season he tried playing out from the back and that was quickly shown to be impossible given De Gea was in net and then Maguire of course was dropped after two matches and he adapted to what he had then and then after that United went on what was it when they, the first streak like eight games um, without losing was it first before they, they met was it City who beat them for the first time they had the 6-3 which was another setback so to start on winning terms this year even with some tactical um, maybe issues that need, still need ironing out as you say it's, a, it's a, a lot of progress and you know with Mount as you say there he the way, the stuff he does off the ball he's a player that's always been heavily praised by the managers he's had for being so good tactically so intelligent on the pitch and that's why he often stayed in teams like Chelsea and England um even when you know to us you know to fans and whatnot who kind of only care about the goals and assists he doesn't look like he's impressing that much he's always doing a, quite a selfless job and it wouldn't surprise me that eventually pays off at United now it does it's not the best that the manager who's probably praising the most was Frank Lampard it's not exactly a ringing endorsement but I still think you know there's there's positives to come there if you know once he beds in because you know we have to remember it is just the opening day there are going to be kinks to iron out as you say pre-season's hardly a the great kind of stage for preparation these days, given the you know the energy that's expended on tours and whatnot. So, I mean, as as you um as 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 you alluded to, like I I hadn't seen it just until now, but I mean I'm showing it up to people here. They can probably this there's this graphic um, on Twitter, and essentially it's got everyone. I think it's four four Wolves players surrounding Casemiro within this rectangle which almost makes up the, the the complete you know well a good probably half of 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 Wolves's half and Mount is high up with Rashford uh Garnacho's on the left Shaw isn't far behind him Anthony's right up on the right Fernandez isn't far behind him Wan-Bissaka in fairness to him is almost parallel with Anthony but that is that you you are pitting four players against Casemiro there Casemiro is 31 with with Mount, that's that's something that they are going to have to address because Mount has been brought in as a midfielder because Fernandez is the captain as well. He's just been appointed captain. He plays as the number ten. Okay, you can alternate, but you're going to have to be pretty disciplined about it because Fernandez can play very well from a from a deep role. But what happened last night? I mean, Ten Hag afterwards because United won. Probably, I don't think he was. He, he I think he wanted to portray. Um, optimism and, and he, he didn't want to sound too uh, too critical but I think you'd like to think for United's own benefit that Ten Hag today assessing that game he'd be pretty scathing about it because that that graphic alone there it, it doesn't surprise me seeing that I'm not shocked that the average positions isolated Casemiro like that because it did feel like that it did feel like he was just you know, facing wave after wave of counter attack, and he was the only only player there to hold the fort, and it was it was a struggle for him at times. And he's a thirty one year old who turns thirty two in February, and of course, games like last night, they are going to renew calls for United to maybe um, reinforce the midfield before the transfer window closes. But that's that's a separate separate matter altogether. It absolutely is, and we'll get to it in due course, no doubt. And if you want to see that graphic, of course, you can watch this podcast in living colour. Just go over to YouTube, uh, the, our YouTube channel, Manchester Evening News dash Manchester United, see that in living colour and watch this podcast. But before, before you do that, do not go anywhere because we'll be back in just a moment with part two, where maybe we'll be a little bit more positive. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. 
go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hello there, everyone, and welcome back to the Manchester is Red podcast. So, Samuel, you know, we've been, I think, suitably... Um, you know, critical of the performance, but I think one person in particular does deserve a lot of praise on his debut, of course. It was Andre Onana. Now, he didn't exactly have to make any worldly saves, but he was called into action plenty of occasions, especially in that final 10 minutes. And before we touch on the bit where he nearly threw all his good work away, um, it was a really promising debut for him, I'd say. You know, he didn't maybe didn't get as much chance to show what he can do with the ball at his feet, but with the ball at his hands, at least, he showed he can certainly match, you know, the legend that he's coming to replace. He acquits himself very well. Uh, his, his his passing was was fine, as you say. United never really maximised that, but he was he was prompt with his distribution, which you you, you couldn't really say about his predecessor. Uh, the shots that came his way, he he dealt with with, with a minimum of fuss. They, they were saves he should make, but you, you've still got to got to make them and they came at key times as well in the game some were at 0-0 some were at 1-0 Wolves had 23 shots to United's 15 it was the, the, the second most by a visiting side at Old Trafford in, in the Premier League era and, and the most since November 2005 so it was a it, it was a busier debut than he might have imagined and, and a lot of people would have thought as well but coming away from it he he, he didn't did himself no no harm it would have been blemished had the penalty been given. The penalty should have been given. Um, he, he, he flapped at that. I mean, he, he got away with one there. He, he was never getting to the ball. And I, I don't quite understand what he was thinking in you know, with, with the collision. I mean, you, you can say it was accidental, but it was a rush of blood to the head and he was just spared by, by the incompetence of, of the referees in this country. But I've... I've never seen Anana as a downgrade on De Gea. Absolutely the opposite. I think he's an upgrade. I don't think he'll necessarily be as as much of a showstopper as De Gea in terms of saves. Because De Gea, even as recently as this year, he pulled off some genuinely great saves, and uh, that that was him at United. You know, the 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 catalogue of his great saves is is you, know, you could release a DVD on it. But Anana is a more complete goalkeeper. He's very agile. He's very athletic. He suits the team. I'm sure he'll underpin a lot more attacks. And I don't think he's been a problem so far. I thought he had a pretty good pre-season, even though he arrived slightly late. He It wasn't too uh, detrimental to his, his integration there. He made some good saves on pre-season in certain games. His passing wasn't a problem whatsoever. He's imposed himself. He's a good character. Uh, I don't think he's he's an issue at all. That there seems to be, um, you know, some some paranoid fans peddling this myth that, that the section of the media or sections of the media have have got it in for him. I've I've not seen any evidence of that whatsoever. I just think that's that's pure paranoia. Uh, and and, and you know, speaking for myself, I've, I've written very effusively and positively about him. I think when we were asked earlier in the summer who would be the you know who'd be the ideal signing to come in. And and probably before the Champions League final, it didn't seem as though there was a, an outstanding external um, uh, contender to replace De Gea, but it, it always was an honour. And I think United have got one of the top 10 keepers in the world. So although there'll be the odd mistake, because that's what happens with goalkeepers, um, he, he got away with his mistake in the 96th minute last night. But up until then... He'd acquitted himself very well, and United clearly agreed because they they did put him up in the mix zone afterwards as well. Mm, yeah, and he and he spoke very well after the match as well. And he, even saying he had no concern whatsoever that he'd given away a penalty, which man he's he's one cool <laughs> customer if that's the case. Because I think he everyone had else the in ball down. Did. He had the ball down, waiting whether it was a goal kick or a, or a free kick. I can't quite remember, but he he he. Yeah, if he if he plays poker, he's got a hell of a poker face because he didn't look he didn't look flustered whatsoever. No, definitely not. But I'm I'm actually quite surprised to hear that that some fans think that sections of the media haven't have you know kind of been negative on the signing. I know personally I've been nothing but you know absolutely think it's the best signing United could have made. Or probably one of the most important signings they've made in the last five years or so. Finally, kind of brings them to the modern age, and we'll only see that effect you know as the game as the weeks go on and we see them play better and get used to the new the new style and way of building attacks that Anana will bring it's the best thing they could have ever done it's the only negative about it was that it took them so long to make the decision they needed to make on on De Gea really but um, you know 
you know, who who else did you felt, think played well? You you know, we've you praised Wambasaka quite a lot, and his his turnaround's been great. Um, and it's it was nice that he got the nod um, to start the season as well. Yeah, Stephen and I had a pretty good, uh, thorough conversation about him on the podcast on Friday because I said what what I, I laid out why I'd start Dallo, he laid out why he'd start Wambasaka, and we we agreed very dis sorry we disagreed very agreeably to the point um, that we were discussing the potential uh, prospect of Wambasaka being sold next year, which which could still happen just going off of his uh, going off his his contract situation, but if he continues with this reinvention, he continues in this vein. The the only contract he'll be getting will be a new one from United because he has been the better right back this calendar year. I, th- I thought he had a regressive pre-season, but as we've said time and again, pre-season is, is immaterial by and large. And what matters most is if you hit the ground running when the competitive action starts. And he, he created the best chance in, in either half that United had through two you know, two good crosses. Um, there was good finesse, that cross that he put in for Rashford when United had the handball shout against Samedo. And he was quite cute with the way he just teed it up for Varane to get the winning goal as well. Uh, it, it was not a night where you were coming away wondering who the hell was man of the match because there were the, the, the positive performers for United you could you could count on, on one hand. And, and Wan-Bissaka was certainly one of them. I mean, Varane obviously gets the kudos and gets the glory with the goal but I felt the the credit the bulk of it belonged to Wan-Bissaka because he had the equanimity in that position to very carefully cross the ball in he could have had a rush of blood to the head because that was happening to pretty much all of the forwards last night but he teed it up perfectly and it was a pretty easy header for Varane given that Jose Sarr was caught in no man's land I'm not too sure what he was doing I think he just he panicked after Fernandez's ball came over so Wan-Bissaka was probably along with Anana he was he was the main playing positive uh, Varane of course getting the goal that that bumped his player rating mark up but beyond Varane and Anna and, and Wan-Bissaka there, there was nobody who really impressed a couple of the subs uh, I, I was surprised that Ten Hag took as long as he did to make attacking changes but I thought Sancho was was pretty bright he was a lot more direct and, and more um, more prudent with the ball than, than the other wingers uh, Ericsson brought some calmness to proceedings and they it looked like United were more balanced as well so it would be interesting to see if if Ten Hag does make an adjustment there at the weekend against Tottenham, given that Ericsson not so much playing against his former club, but when they played against Tottenham at Tottenham in, in April, Ericsson was was excellent and United really did fall away after he came off on the hour as well. So Ericsson has by and large struggled for form since he came back from injury in uh, in, in April, I think it was. And, and, and even before his injury, maybe his performance level had tailed off a bit. But by and large, he's been a really good signing by United. And it's going to be interesting to see how he is used this season, where he's now a squad player, having last season been been a starter but there were still occasions and last night was a good example where he is a player that you want in the team for for, for certain times and you know he's he's a he's a wise head he's he's still not that old as well but he's he's very good on the ball and he's he's the, the one of the issues they had last night when they were chasing the goal was that they were too sloppy with possession they weren't patient enough and Eric Erickson is, is, is synonymous with patience and th- they were a better team once they'd made those attacking changes by taking off uh, it was, it was Garnacho Mount wasn't it who came off, came off for, for Sancho and, 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 and Erickson and th- that, that benefited United it, it didn't necessarily jolt them but there was definitely a, a slight improvement with, uh, with a couple of new faces on yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, Ericsson is kind of unlucky in a way that he's now not the main starter, but United needed to kind of upgrade the midfield from the top going down. So you bring in a new starter where the current starter drops to the bench, you've immediately got a starter on the bench in effect. You know, your options are so much better than they were last year when when Ericsson was unavailable last year, it was McTominay or Fred coming in and the, you know, the, the passing deteriorated <laughs> considerably. And I say it is interesting that, you know, Ericsson was so good, I think it was kind of clear from the error mark, especially after his injury, he'd fade, and if he faded to to, to a big extent, United did as well. He was kind of the kind of the metronome, I say, the one player who could pass. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if we do see a world where 
he starts maybe coming into the starting eleven a, a fair more often going forward, and then Mount that energy and still got a bit of about him to kind of replicate his passing. You know, doesn't let that level drop as much. It might be interesting to see how that goes forward. But yeah, of course, you'll be talking more about the Spurs game later on this week. But Sancho, Sancho is an interesting one. Of course, he, he had a, a good impact and he had a, a kind of positive pre-season playing that striker role. And you know, we'll talk more on the on the attack in a minute. But with Hodgland out for a while, yeah, is the is the scope for Sancho to perhaps start up front in the next game? Given Rashford is obviously better on the left. Yeah, I, I think that I'd be inclined to go with that. Uh, some people might say it's it's a bit of a knee jerk, but with with Garnacho, he is so young, and there are going to be times when he's erratic, and the better way to use him would be to bring him off off, off the bench, and he he can have very positive impacts as an, as, as a game changer. In in those situations, as United discovered last season, I think uh, I think three of his five goals, maybe maybe more, were off the bench. I'm thinking Fulham, Leeds, uh, Wolves was another one. So that's that's three I can think of, off the top of my head. They got I think the that probably... City, didn't they, off the bench as well? Yeah, that's um, right. Yeah, one. he came on, came on, did really well then as well. So uh, even when he's not scoring uh, or, or not, not necessarily assisting as well, there, there were times last season when he did do well. I thought in the FA Cup final, he was the only United player who had City on the back foot. Uh, he was the only one who, who who didn't look overly phased by the occasion, who actually expressed himself and, and played in in quite a natural way. Rashford is just not a striker, but he is the best left winger at United, and he was their top scorer last season through primarily playing there. You've got to maximise that, and he, he he was poor against Wolves as as most of the forwards were. But you've got to try and play your best players in their best position. United do have the issue of not having a striker. I mean, Marshall was on the bench last night. It was his first match involvement in 78 days. He had about as much chance of coming on as Hoyland. He, he wasn't in, in any of the two attacking changes. Palestri then came on and he was getting ready to come on at nil-nil. He was on the touchline when Varane scored. So, I, And as, as for the final change, it was McTominay who came on. But I think even if it was nil-nil going into the last five minutes or going into added time, I don't think Marshall was, was coming on in that game. And he's just too unreliable. And, and this, is, this is poor planning for Manchester United, however way you look at it. They've got two strikers and both of them are injured. And, and that was avoidable. Uh, it's... You know, it's it's not Hoyland's uh, fault that he's he's injured, and it's not his fault that it seems like with every day, the pressure just seems to increase on him. And this is all before he's even had a kick for United. It, there's there's enough pressure alone just leading the line for Man United. Never mind in the summer that Harry Kane has finally up sticks and and left Tottenham. Uh, never mind that United don't have another striker who can be relied on to. You know, share the load or at least seize the burden on Hoyland and beyond Anthony Martial you look at some of the other forwards they're too flaky or they're too junior to uh, to ease the strain as well there are only a couple of forwards who I, I'd say you could that, that Hoyland can depend on who are going to you know try and try and help him out along the way through through goals and through you know taking on the responsibility and that's probably Rashford and, and Fernandes uh, at the time of speaking so it's it's going to be fascinating to see how Hoyland does when he does come in, but really it's it's not ideal for United to be starting the season in the in the situation they're in. And, and Ten Hag tried to you know paint this positive picture of great squad depth on Friday when he said that they have three options to start up front in the absence of Hoyland, uh, naming Rashford, Sancho, and Martial. The, the, only one of them is an, an out and out striker in inverted commas and. There are plenty of United fans who dispute that about Martial, and he he barely plays anyway. So, um, you know, I, I thought Sancho started to gradually build momentum during pre-season, and uh, he he probably would have been my pick to start up front against Lons in the in the penultimate friendly they had. But the fact that Ten Hag went with Rashford uh, was was a pretty obvious indication that he was looking to start him against Wolves and I understand that because Rashford has got more experience of playing there but he very rarely plays well there and although Sancho is an unknown quantity there somewhat so is Rasmus Hoyland so I as I said at this stage I'd, I'd be looking to probably bring Sancho in as one of the changes against Tottenham maybe only the change but I, I don't think that they should be going with the same attack again. 
Yeah, absolutely. Like not to not to come onto the United post, but, uh, podcast and be all kind of negative, Nancy. But I really think they've kind of dropped the ball a little bit with the striker thing. Now Hodgland might well realise all his potential, be great, be worth the seventy million down the road. But I think United themselves even admitted, you know, he's a rough diamond. We're not expecting great things from the off. We're not expecting him to come in and be Haaland, um, as similar as the names are, and score fifty goals his first season. But you know. You're never going to get a Haaland. He's a once in a lifetime. But United needed, as we've all said, ad nauseum for like four years now. They've needed someone who could reliably score goals. And Haaland might do it one day, but he's not the guarantee. There's no saying he'll do it even when he is fit. And, you know, he's come in and he isn't even fit. I just think, I'm looking at it, I'm thinking, you know, Kane, maybe Tottenham still wouldn't have sold to a Premier League club and maybe they couldn't afford 100 million at this juncture given um, the reg- uh, the restrictions with FFP and whatnot but oh, if things go awry this season that decision will be looked at and will be criticised to high heaven because it just seems like such a missed opportunity because you get the impression you know Kane's done really well gone to Bayern Munich and you know he didn't win his trophy on his first on his first day as everyone kind of joked about but he, you get the impression he would have preferred to have stayed in the Premier League if a Premier League move had have come, and United seemingly didn't didn't make didn't make the move. And to me, it just is kind of bewildering. You'd pay, pay seventy mil, I don't know, commit to paying seventy two million for an unproved, pretty much unproven 33, 33 career goals, and that's not bad for a twenty year old. Don't get me wrong, but only nine goals in a top five league. That's a big bet when you've got someone there who's scored at least twenty goals in the last nine Premier League seasons. Who is the guaranteed, literally guaranteed, you couldn't get a bigger guaranteed source of goals unless you're getting Haaland. And even he was an unproven Premier League quality, I suppose. Um, you know, even though if you doubted, you doubted he'd do well, it was, it'd be a strain. So I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, I know centre-back and maybe midfield are more bigger priorities in the last couple of weeks of the window, but if I was United, I'd be looking into getting another forward, me to be honest with you, because you know, they might have a lot of names on paper. Ten Hag could say we've got three options, but as you've just outlined, they're not that good options they're either injured or don't play well up front and you know you've, you've written ad nauseum as well about the, the shortlist they had and I look at Mohamed Kudus and I still think he'd be such a good sign and he can play up front he can play out wide he can play in attacking midfield I think it was 18 goals last season and 7 assists scored on the opening day of this season and he's getting linked with teams like no disrespect to Brighton and West Ham, but if West Ham are looking for him to replace Paqueta, if I was City, I'd be getting rid of Paqueta and just going for Kudus. And, I, you know, the Ten Hag link, he's 23, looks to be available at a decent price. I'd be double dipping on the shortlist, me, if I was United. I, I must say, it just seems bewildering. Ten, Ten Hag does like him. Again, I think there's there's a danger there. Uh, and I'm just, yeah, this is my, my opinion, but... He's another potential player, and and the the issue with Hoyland and you know the, I think there's this misconception that uh, that the media have got it in for Hoyland or they're negative about Hoyland. We're not negative about Hoyland. Factually, he is not a proven goal scorer. He is an unknown quantity. Um, I I've always been quite consistent saying that United needed to sign a proven, dependable goal scorer coming into this season. They have not signed someone who's the finished article or close to the finished article I thought they needed someone who's going to be definitely going to come in and get minimum 20 league goals uh, if, if Hoyland gets that great they've done a they've done a tremendous job they've gone for the right player but it's not just us using these words people at Manchester United are using the words gamble rough diamond to describe Rasmus Hoyland because that is what he is and to compound that or to you know kind of you know, fuel the the scepticism if you like he he is injured which is not not a great starting point in united are talking about giving him time it really doesn't work like that especially at man united the expectations are huge and you have got supporters already looking at the situation and thinking we need another striker already because the alternative is marshall and the the depth and attack is not it's it's yeah i mean you look at for example ahmad Palestri and Hannibal Mejri, I think between them, they've probably got three Premier League starts. Uh, and Palestri, who's the most senior of them at the moment, has never started a game in the Premier League, uh, which you know, is, is, is possibly a bit harsh on him because he has deserved more opportunities. But that just gives you an idea of where United are uh, with their attackers. And that's why the starters and the more senior personnel, they really need to step up to the plate. Because there are some quite callow forwards in there who 
a, a, it looks like are going to be still in the squad beyond the, the closure of the transfer window for, for various reasons. But the, those senior players have really got to step up now. That said, it's on United for investing £72 million in a 20-year-old who 18 months ago was, or 19 months ago, was at Copenhagen about to go to Sturm Graz for, what was it, €1.5 million Euros or €1.8 million. Euros. Uh, it's... Yeah, it's an interesting way of going about a striker signing. You'd have had exceptionally long odds back in January 2022 as, as Rasmus Hoyland coming in as the next permanent striker signing at Manchester United. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we'll bring um, part two to a close there and our discussion on Wolves and we'll be back in just a moment to rattle through the, uh, the latest transfer developments. So do not go anywhere. Hello everybody and welcome back to part three of the Manchester is Red podcast. Now Samuel, it's been a bit quiet on the incoming front for United since um, Haaland arrived uh, last weekend now, but there's been plenty of interesting news on potential outgoings and most of that centres on Harry Maguire. What is going on with Harry Maguire? Well, uh, for now, it looks like he will be staying at United unless something changes. West Ham had that bid accepted a, a week ago, I think it was, when when Ten Hag was asked about Maguire on Friday and whether he'd be available for the game against Wolves, uh, the words he used were, of course. And I didn't see that as a bluff by Ten Hag. I, I thought when he said that, well, Maguire will be on the bench and it's it's a strange situation because United accepted this offer and there were still 72 hours to go until, probably 80 hours in fact, to go until kickoff. And a hell of a lot can happen during that time. I mean, Maguire could have gone down to London, had his medical pose in a West Ham kit and, and trained, uh, trained with his new teammates. But when he said, of course, I just thought, well, he's going to be on the bench. And... He was, he was an unused substitute, of course. Uh, it's, it's transpired that now that, that move has stalled. Uh, West Ham have got fed up of the waiting. I, I think you know, Maguire has, has copped a lot of undeserved flack, but he, he may get some deserved flack if he sticks around and stagnates at United. I, I, I can see why these situations are complex, but... There's talk that he's been, you know, seeking close to ten million pounds in the payoff because he won't get the wages uh, at West Ham that he would have done at United. This is not. This is hardly pleading poverty. If he was an exceptional defender, his wage wouldn't be an issue. He'd be starting for United. He'd be staying at the club. It's you know, it's it's the defender. It's it's United's fault for elevating the defender. Uh, in Maguire's case, to world record, you know, world record fee, and then of course you command a world record fee, you get a big bump in wages. He's been found out. He's not at that level. He's going to have to drop down a level if he wants to play regularly. So that means going to a club who aren't going to play, who aren't going to pay wages as high as United are paying, or he just goes to Saudi Arabia if the money's that important to him. Just go to Saudi Arabia. I'm sure he'll um, he'll get a pay hike out there. Uh, I just, you know, sometimes footballers get unfair stick uh, for you know monetary reasons, but in this case, I I just I find it beggars belief really that a player could be pleading poverty over you know getting a salary reduction when you and and again I hardly ever draw this parallel with you know what nurses earn or what soldiers earn and blah 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 but you're talking about people in cost of living crisis and you look at some of the other crises around the world in Ukraine wildfires in Maori um, people in Afghanistan living under Taliban rule for for two years you know those are problems Harry Maguire refusing to budge because he's not going to be getting 200 grand a week whilst living in London, playing European football, playing regular Premier League football, playing regularly for England still because he would keep his place through playing regularly for West Ham. I have zero sympathy for him. Uh, I had sympathy for him over the booing in, in Ireland, but things like this, uh, it, it's, it's rare that something like this really gets my goat, but 
there's a hell of a lot of perspective that he's lacking here and it's also a test of his ambition if he wants to stick around Manchester United and be a reserve uh, that's that's him rumbled again as far as I'm concerned and he's the the sympathy that he has has received over the the ridiculous booing he's got in pre-season games that that is going to erode very very quickly because everyone knows that he's done at United and everyone knows that he needs to move on and unless he's going to a rich retirement home somewhere he has to take a pay cut and I don't think United having you know built him up into uh, a defender who was their captain and who became the, the the most expensive defender in the world and has been able to play Champions League uh, matches for Man United and, and win a trophy with Manchester United they don't owe him a penny more than than what they're paying him at the moment I, the the logic I just I, I, I just find is 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 baffling there so he's, he's just got to swallow his pride and get on with his career but if he doesn't do that he's got to he's he's got to accept the consequences and and the consequences may be unkind yeah absolutely perfectly put you know united gave him that contract they honor it of course if he wants that money you stay and be a sub fair enough if that's what you want to do that i think that's fair enough but i think we'd all say show ambition show that you want to play prove yourself you know he's 30 31 now 30 30, coming, yeah. you know, football footballers can go on, of course, and play a lot longer these days. But coming towards the tail end, go and play good standard of Premier League football, and um, you know, good manager European football. As you say, won a trophy last season. They wouldn't have been, you know, wouldn't have been any less well off and um, uh, West Ham than he would have been at United in terms of winning trophies last year. But you can't, you can't have it both ways. You can't have. You know, you're caking it too, and unless you, I say, unless you go to Saudi Arabia, but that's just the, as you say, that is the the death knell in any career, isn't it? So if you want to continue to play for England and play at a good level, take the take the pay cut, go to West Ham. I don't think I don't think you'll be a short of money, or or, or shut up and take your take your cash here, whichever one you want. But you're not you're not having both. Yeah, I agree. It just seems so. You know, I think footballs are coming for a, you know they've got a lot of slack this summer. And usually, I'd be the first to defend. Footballers, I think they get a lot of unfair state. They're often made the scapegoats by um, horrendous governments and whatnot. But I think this year, they not 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 many of them have covered themselves in glory and on a lot of different aspects. But one player who has left with grace and has gone with, um, I think, uh, ha, you know, nice messages from um, all fans is Fred. He's gone. He's gone to Fenerbahce. His time at United is over. Um, you know, fifty million player probably didn't live up to that price tag, but a good a good servant. And a decent fee for a player coming towards the end of his contract. Good, good, good work. United managed to get him off, I suppose. He, he was a decent player for them, and he's he's gone at the right time. Uh, as you said, the, the the fee they paid for him that they triggered his release clause of about fifty two million pounds, and he was never a fifty two million pound player. I think initially there was this. Uh, rather idealistic, uh, you know, hope that he would just be the, ho- the the sole holding midfielder, and United would be playing this expansive style, and and that was never going to happen. But he was a manager, in, sorry, he wasn't a manager. He was a player who endeared himself to just about every manager he played under, and in his final season, he he started both cup finals. He was terrific against Barcelona. He had a knack for playing ex- extremely well against Tottenham. He had some terrific performances in, in Manchester derbies. He, th- there was a time where it was fair to you know, dub him a big game player. And I think possibly uh, maybe the most glowing endorsement for him was that he was one of the few players who performed really well under Ralph Rangnick. And you remember how tumultuous those those five, five or six months were for United. For anyone to come out of credit from that period... They must have been done doing something right, and he was probably one of three players who did. Uh, the others being Ronaldo and, and David de Gea, who are two club legends. So, uh, yeah, he's it was it was the right time to go w- with him, and you sense that last season as well. But Ten Hag, like a good manager, when you inherit certain players who are maybe on borrowed time, you, you've but they're not going to go just yet. You've got to make the most of them, and he certainly did that with Fred and. You know, th- th- he had some absolute nightmare performances along the way, and and some pretty memorably egregious performances. And Barcelona away in February for the first fifty odd minutes, he was an absolute walking disaster. But then he played a brilliant pass through for Marcus Rashford to equalise, and 
his, his fortunes changed that evening and a week later he was possibly man of the match in the return leg when they won 2-1 so he's he's a credit to himself and it seems like anyone who's encountered him I mean we, we spoke to him in in Bangkok last year and it was a strange interview because we asked questions in English and United told us that he would answer in Portuguese and there wasn't a translator present, even though Fred could, could speak English no problem. So it was it was odd. But amazingly, the, the piece that I knocked into shape, um, that the, there were no redact, redactions in the transcript either that United provided, I, I must add. Uh, but the, the piece actually flowed surprisingly well. So... Uh, he was he was he was a personable guy. He had some uh, terrific moments for United, and he was a he was a worthy signing. Certainly, uh, if you were going off Gary Neville's traffic light system of of, of United's recruitment post Ferguson, he'd probably be in the amber. I'd say. Mm-hmm. What was that game? Was it PSG when he got sent off and it was like the most obvious second yellow ever and he just didn't yes. get taken off? That yeah. So on, on, yeah, that's right. Yeah, Solskjaer refused to take him off and he came back out and he, he promptly got sent off and and they lost and then they they went out of the they, they went out of the group stage as well. That was the the group stage where they needed four points from their last four games to to qualify and they I don't think they I think they only got what was it? It was just the three points, I think. They you had the infamous Basak Sahir game and Leipzig as well. Yeah. They, I think they'd have been a lot more memorable if, if fans were in the stands, but it was uh yeah, strange strange time covering those games to say the least. But yeah. Oh definitely. For that alone, I'll I'll be thankful for his, his time in Manchester and you know, a big shout out to our old colleague, Mr. Don Boothra. I'm sure he's still crying into his Fred-shaped pillow to bed at night with the, the news that he has left Manchester. Sorry about that, Dom. Commiserations. But, you know, finally, Samuel, 19 days or so of the window to go. Where are United standing? Um, can you see any more coming in and can you see any more going out? I can certainly see more outgoings uh, by and. Uh, Brandon Williams are players that are just getting mentioned uh, because it's it's so obvious that they need to go. I mean, Baye's had his squad number revoked. Brandon Williams wasn't involved in either of the, the the final two friendlies. He wasn't in the squad last night. Nobody expects him to be in the squad. He needs to go and, and, and play regularly because he's, he's effectively the fourth choice left back at the moment. When everyone's fit, you've got Shaw, Malassia, and Alvaro Fernandez ahead of him, uh, given that Williams only had he had one cameo appearance in the entirety of last season. But he's he's clearly a, a good enough player for, for at least the Championship level. I'd I'd argue, and it just remains to be seen what fee, if any, come in uh, for United, uh, so so someone can take him off their hands. Donny Van der Beek again, not uh, another one, unsurprisingly, not in the squad. On, on Monday evening, Real Sociedad have shown interest there, but it has gone quite quiet. Uh, that that interest emerged just over a week ago, I think it was, and there's not been any other you know, major movement there, and it doesn't feel like um, anything's happened that's that's going to change that anytime soon. But I, I still don't, I still don't think he'll be at United when when the transfer window closes. He's you know his race was run at United some time ago, and the fact that he was taken off at half time against against Athletic Bilbao in Dublin and he was the only one who was taken off as well I thought spoke spoke volumes really um, given how how poor he was that day and it, um, unfortunately for him it, it wasn't an aberration We that, that that level of performance in Van Der Beek has become very familiar for people who've, who've watched him for United in the last uh, the last three years or so uh, beyond those players I mean the Maguire situation that's that's complex now because it, last week he looked like he was going this week it looks like he's staying maybe this time next week he'll look like he's going again but I always thought in terms of Premier League clubs West Ham always seemed the the obvious ones that would come in for him a little bit like with Scott McTominay because other clubs who you could have seen Maguire playing for. They've either not got the room for him to play in their defence. I mean, I think his agent would have loved him to go to Newcastle, given that his his father, Freddie Shepherd, um, used to used to be the Newcastle chairman. But would would Newcastle take Botman or Shah out of the team for Harry Maguire? No. Aston Villa. I suppose Aston Villa is an interesting one with Tyrone Mings's injury. Uh, you could see Maguire playing for Aston Villa, but not not just because it's just another Claret and Blue club who who are playing in Europe. But uh, there's you know, it's it's something that 
I, I'd be amazed if Villa weren't considering it after what happened to Mings at the weekend. He's, he suffered a, a pretty serious knee injury, unfortunately for him, and they're going to need cover there. Whereas before he suffered that injury, they'd brought Paul Torres in from Mireal, and you thought, well, that's a no-go for Maguire because Villa have signed their centre-half for the summer. Um I'd have, or I'd always argue that I think Tottenham uh, could have done with with Maguire coming in, given that they've got some pretty poor centre backs there. But they've they've spent big on centre back as well. Uh, maybe if one goes, they'll they would look into that. But that's that's just educated guesswork on on my part because I can't really see Harry Maguire playing abroad so if he's not playing abroad what Premier League club would he go to and that's why West Ham always seemed like a good fit but effectively he's priced himself out of that move and if he's not budging then I don't see how United are going to have the leverage to go out there and sign a centre-back which is something that they're interested in in doing because they've not got a deep pool of, of centre-backs given that two were released by is going even Ted Mengi who is, is small fry it looks like he's going to go as well so um, they've, they've not got you know, they've, they've, they're, not, they're not teaming with options there and and some of them aren't necessarily at the level that Ten Hag wants. I thought Victor Lindelof had a very good end to last season, but he was he was very, very ropey in the second half against Wolves, as, as, as a lot of the players were. Yeah, absolutely. Well, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to keep up to date with all the latest United transfer news, until we are back next uh, Friday, it'll be, you know where to go. It's manchestereveningnews.co.uk forward slash Manchester United for all the, I say, the latest transfer news and, of course, news in general ahead of next weekend's game against Tottenham. The Manchester's Red podcast will be back on Friday, I'd imagine, Samuel. Uh, yes, yeah, I don't see why not. So yeah, that's when absolutely that's when we usually go when we'll be talking um, ahead of the big weekend's game against Tottenham, which is sure to be quite the umdinger given Tottenham's entertaining start to the season. But until then, of course, you can also follow us on Twitter at Man United MEN. Our Facebook page is uh, Manchester Evening News Manchester United. And if you want to watch this podcast in living colour, as I said earlier on, the YouTube channel is Manchester Evening News Man United. But until Friday, everyone, that is all from us for now. Thank you very much for listening. Ta-ra! So, uh...